Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Ave Spotlight. Today we are meeting with Scott Lehman all about his book, The 12 Steps and the Sacraments, and tips and tricks that we can use if we've developed bad habits during the pandemic, how we can help ourselves, whether that's in community or individually. Thank you so much for being with us, Scott. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. A pleasure joining you today, Chanel. And I'm um, really excited to share a little bit about my story, some addiction recovery, and uh, get into what the people want to hear. So yeah, a little bit about myself. Um, Scott Weeman. I live in Southern California in San Diego. Not where I grew up, though. I grew up in Wisconsin, just outside of about a half hour south of Green Bay, and uh, lived in a pretty rural area, made a big transition going to college in New York City after high school, which didn't last long, about three semesters until I lost a debate scholarship that I had earned, Mm. which was lost due to alcoholism and drug addiction. I found alcohol and drugs as an easy way out of many of my problems towards Mm. the end of high school, and that shortly developed into very compulsive, addictive-like behaviors. Mm. Um, So it was, you know, nine years in active addiction, a lot of really you know, things getting darker and darker throughout that time. But at age 26, God wanted me to get sober and provided an opportunity, you know, as a result of a lot of my self-centered behaviors and selfishness was put in a position really where let go of the rope and uh, ask God and his His beloved children for help and found recovery about 10 years ago. Um, thanks to 12-step recovery groups, uh, my life has been saved. I found the Catholic Church I guess I would be considered a revert growing up Catholic, although nominally Catholic, Christmas, (laughs) Easter, a few extra credit weekends a year. Um, But it it wasn't until I was desperate, really needed Mm. God in my life and needed to find hope really to restore the life that I once knew. And he did not disappoint, put me in touch with uh, fellows, men and women who found a solution to my, our common problem around addiction and alcoholism. And one day at a time has helped me stay sober and since then has also given me an opportunity to share the good news of recovery with those who are seeking it. Personally, I married my wife, Jacqueline, about almost five years ago. Oh, and we congratulations. Had, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We met at the church where I came to when I was first trying to get sober. Wow. And God put her in my path. And now we have two beautiful girls, three and one. Oh my and goodness. We're, we're wow. awaiting our, our third uh, little boy uh, in late August. So we're very excited. God's been, has blessed us abundantly. And all, you know, as a result of finding recovery, finding sobriety, not really in my plans, mm. but our Creator knows wow. what's best for us, knows what we need. Mm. Amen. Wow. That is amazing. Congratulations. How are you feeling about having a boy? What's that vibe like? Very excited. There's a lot of female energy in my house at the moment. <laughs> the best kind of energy. Mm-hmm. Yes, the best kind of energy. You know, mm-hmm. I was very, I was very eager to have a boy when I first came, but I sure. love being a girl dad. That mm. even if the third was another girl, I wouldn't have been disappointed. Sure. You know, mm. life is such a gift, and you know, I was for a long time really in the gutter, and you know, mm. in this place of just, you know, full of self-centeredness and full of just what can I get? What kind of pleasure can I extract from the world? And so, you know, living with a family, having a wife, you know, having children to serve and, and learning from them helps me really recognize and, and reinforces my identity as a beloved son of God. Oh, and, wow. uh, you know, knowing the depths and the darkness of isolation and addiction and self-centeredness mm-hmm. and now getting to experience the joys and the sorrows of whatever life brings mm-hmm. truly is a gift. Wow. That's amazing. And just to have that perspective too, that's also 
such a gift. God is very much operating. So that's wonderful. So when you were younger, you were saying that you were an, you know, kind of a, I was too, you know, kind of like a seasonal Catholic went on Mm. holidays, you know, every once in a while, maybe I'd show up to like a little Sunday mass here or there if I felt like it. And so you weren't really practicing in an intentional way. So when you were kind of going through your issues with alcoholism and drug addiction, how did you then finding God? Did he find you? Did you have an encounter with someone? I mean, I'm so curious about how that worked. Yes. I would say that God definitely found me. Mm. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily, I was, I was looking for something. What I was looking for was God. I Mm. was looking in every other place, you know, all the wrong places to find him. And I I don't think that I'm alone in that. And even if one doesn't consider them an addict, you know, I think that there's a lot of places where we can find a lot of compulsive behaviors that are, are searching for God, but searching in the wrong places. So for me, it was, I mean, my, my kind of finding the church as a means of, of salvation or, or restoration in the midst of my recovery really came for my own personal, I was motivated by winning back an ex-girlfriend that was very Catholic. Mm. And so, so God, again, you know, will use whatever motivations we have or really, you know, use whatever means necessary for it to find us. Yeah. And so that, that's exactly what it was. You know, my, actually my motivation to get sober and to, to really get involved with the church was just this, you know, I was desperate for relationship. I didn't know that I was desperate for a relationship with God. I was desperate for a relationship with someone. And so my, you know, this, my ex-girlfriend, which ultimately motivated me to come back to the church, I I certainly had a very unhealthy attachment to her. I would say she was an idol of mine. You know, I was really seeking her to be my God and to do for me what only God could do, Mm -hmm. which was putting really, of course, an, an impossible weight on her and uh, really putting a, a lot of stress on that relationship. So it was bound to fail. But again, God in all of his glory will use those low moments to inspire us to seek him and to seek maybe to do those things that we otherwise wouldn't do. You know, if it wasn't for the pain of that loss. And I, you know, along the way in active addiction, I had lost a lot, lost a debate scholarship. I lost several jobs. I lost my own peace of mind. I lost confidence. I lost esteem. I lost relationships with family and friends. And this was kind of the end of the rope. This was the event that then activated me to do something that I otherwise wouldn't have done. You know, it was recognizing that my own strength wasn't enough. And so Mm -hmm. the first step of 12-step recovery is we admit that we are powerless over fill in the blank. For me, alcohol, drugs, other addictions and compulsions as well, that our lives had become unmanageable. So I had come to this place where I was absolutely powerless. I didn't actually have hope or belief that God could restore me to sanity or restore me to some kind of life, I thought that I would just be living with a a handicap for my whole life. You really just this, you know, unable to say no to many things and therefore getting me in trouble. And I I didn't think that there was really a way out. I thought that that's kind of how things would always be until God, you know, in this moment of darkness and desperation, you reached his hand into the gutter and found me. And his hand was the hand of many individuals, men and women who were willing to share their experience, strength and hope with me that was able to look me in the eye and say, I know exactly what, where you've been. You don't ever have to drink again. And, and instilling wow. that hope in me. And, you know, it's been a long journey since then. And I hope that the journey continues one day at a time, mm-hmm. but yes, God intervened in ways and, and in, in many ways kind of used those very human motivations of mine to deepen our relationship between God and me. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. And look at God because 
look at you sitting here right now. I really like to think, I mean, when I talk to my guests, like what younger you would have said to now you, right? Like you were saying earlier, there's moments in your life where you feel like you just don't have any hope. And you're like, I just don't really know if God's going to do what I think I heard he may do. And then you're just older, right? And you're sitting in your home with your family and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I, <laughs> like, how, how is God able to do what he does even passively, right? You just existing and you are actively even being receptive to God's grace. That is just so powerful to you being able to just sit here and just, you know, advocate for so many things and speak so much life into things that people are just having such a hard time with. Something like addiction that I've personally seen take the life of so many people in my life, whether, you know, from them actually leaving this earth or for them just not being present to me or my family anymore. And it's just such a a hard thing to kind of go through as an active person in it and then as like a as a bystander, right? And I think now especially in this pandemic, there's been a lot of time that people have been alone and you've kind of, you know, like they say, you've been up to your own devices. You've just been figuring things out, whether people are just extremely bored or extremely lonely. There's a lot of lack of community and there's lack of encouragement. Like you were saying, you had encouragement from other people that encountered you and said, hey, you don't have to do this anymore. And during this past year, a lot of people haven't had that, haven't had people saying, you don't have to drink. You don't have to do these like drugs to calm you down. You don't have to watch these shows that will, you know, that you're going to be just be hitting the confessional right after. And so there's just so many of those things that people have been partaking in and developing these habits that just to kind of heal themselves. And as I was just kind of reading your story, there's just an interesting theme, I think, of just healing, trying to heal ourselves and our responsibility to kind of take care of ourselves and not necessarily giving ourselves to God. So what would you say to someone, especially now coming out of this past year where we've all really been feeling like we're on our own, a lot of people that have just fallen back into habits or developed new habits that haven't necessarily been the best? What would you say to kind of encourage or what advice would you give? Yeah, that's, I mean, isolation is no friend of, of ours, of any of ours. Mm. There's a, bi- a bit of an appeal or an attraction to isolation. And solitude, of course, very important, very necessary opportunity where we can just be alone with God. Isolation, though, where we're really shutting the door on the rest of the world and even shutting the door on God. And that's oftentimes poor patterns, and you refer to them as habits. We'll refer to them as, I would say, addictions, compulsions, or unhealthy right. attachments. The ident- however you identify or label that is not that important, but you, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of it really comes down to self-medicating. You know, we are trying to, we're, we're dealing with a challenging situation or we're dealing with our own fear, or maybe it's a, uh, you know, other a kind of a collective fear. And when we're not turning to God for those things, not, not seeking some kind of a healthy response, we can turn to patterns that are very unhealthy. They might have benefit for us in the short term. Relieving anxiety, you know, allowing us to feel maybe connected in some ways, but long term, those have really terrible effects, much like alcohol and drugs and lustful behavior and compulsive eating have done in my life. You know, they might solve a very short term problem, but are long term develop their, their own problem, a bigger problem in themselves. 
And so we can't do this alone. You know, there is a definite need for community and for healthy relationships to help foster healing and broken relationships. Yes. And I think it's important that we kind of look at our threefold relationships, our relationship with God, our relationships with other people, and our relationship with ourselves. And oftentimes those will, will kind of move in a pretty similar pattern that when our relationship with God is not right, our relationships with ourselves can then sometimes be troubled, oftentimes be troubled. Similarly, our relationship with others is oftentimes a reflection of the relationship that we have with ourselves. And so connecting with others, not just in our, in our collective strength, but oftentimes in our collective weakness, in our collective need and desperation for God is really a great way to get out of whatever funk we might be in. You know, mm-hmm. that we may have felt some initial relief by, you know, seeking whatever those isolating forms of kind of, of responding are. Maybe it's added attachment to our devices. Maybe it's, you know, as a means to find some kind of connection, but it's just this false sense of connection that truly leads to further loneliness and, and isolation. It might be substances. You know, I know, mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard many of stories. We, we see the people who are seeking help in our Catholic and recovery meetings all the time who have sought alcohol or maybe even some, you know, they'll justify drug use or eat compulsively mm-hmm. in order to relieve themselves of anxiety. And, and really, you know, what that is, is it's, it's us being our own God in many ways. It's, it's us trying to provide a divine solution which we, of course, on our own can't do. But when we can connect with other people in community, we are connecting with God. And therefore, you know, that's, that's going to be the, the process for getting out of those unhealthy attachments and the process for us to be restored through healthy relationships. Wow, that is hard to hear. <laughs> that is hard to hear, but you are not wrong. That is just, it's amazing. It's amazing. that I like what you said just about us feeling like we're our own gods, right? And we can heal ourselves and we can kind of bring ourselves to a place of completion as if we are just perfected beings, right? If only I could just not watch that show one more time, or if only I could just not drink that drink one more time, then I would have accomplished everything that I need to, to be the person I want to be with no help from God, with no help from community or anything. I can do it on my own. And I wonder what drives people to feel like they can do things on their own like that. Did you ever feel like you can handle things on your own? You could fix yourself or did you recognize that community was a necessity? What's kind of the importance of community in that way? Yeah, that community is critical, I think, and is a necessary part for us to get out of this self-centeredness, which is truly what it is. I think that I wouldn't say that it's an abundance of confidence that keeps us thinking that we can do it on our own. Mm -hmm. I think that we will package it as we're confident, we're capable, we can do this on our own. But I think that what lies below that is this fear that other people are going to really find out about us or, you know, oh it's, a, it's a pride that, you know, if we do ask for help, that we're for of some reason damaged goods of some kind. Mm. And that's far from the, such so far from the truth. You know, all of us for whatever, whatever it is that we're going through, we need the help of God to get us through that. And oftentimes God will provide people in our lives who can be his hands and his feet. And so thinking that we can do this on our own, particularly you know, when we've been caught in this maybe cycle of unhealthy attachments, compulsive behavior, you know, we can't get just pull ourselves out of that. God needs to do that for us. And oftentimes it's, you know, God's hands and feet here on earth community that does that for us. 
Mm. I was so afraid to find, to, to share what was actually going on in my life. And even when I picked up the phone to call my mom, my dad, and a few close friends back home in Wisconsin to tell them that I needed help, I'm an alcoholic. Mm. They already knew that. Yet, you know, they, they had seen all the consequences of it. I was the one really that was kind of the last to know among the people around me. I was in such heavy denial. And so I think that that's really where the, where the essence of, of that is. It's denial, these layers of denial that thinks we can do it on our own. And that keeps us, oftentimes prevents us from seeking God. And so, you know, as painful as it might be going through a situation by ourselves or recognizing that we need to make some change, that can be really hard and is, is a grace, but it's also really, really painful in the moment when we respond to that and open ourselves up and just say, God, take this. Mm. That's where change happens. Wow. That's beautiful. What a beautiful witness. So in your book, The 12 Steps and the Sacraments, can you just tell us more about it? What's it about? It's a little bit of your story. You connect the 12-step program and the different sacraments. How does all of that work? Yeah, that all is. Um, so the 12 Steps and the Sacraments we published in November 2017 awesome. and shares a bit of my story and others, stories of others who have found the 12 Steps and the Sacramental Life of the Church wow. helpful and really essential in healing around addiction. And so we overlap Steps one, two, and three with the sacrament of baptism. Steps four through nine with the sacrament of reconciliation. Steps 10 and 11 with the Eucharist. And step 12 with confirmation. And see, really, the movement of the 12 steps is very, very similar to the movement of the sacramental life of the church and had really great Catholic influence in its start in the 1930s. At the same time, I think that we can use those of us who have found the 12 steps to help heal addiction. That can inform our understanding of the sacraments in the way that helps us fully truly, you know, better understand God's love for us and mm. truly are in our place in the world. And similarly, the sacraments can also inform how we might be able to lean into God and lead into our relationship with Jesus Christ to find healing from those addictions, compulsions, and unhealthy attachments that keep us separate from him. And so the, yeah, the book, The 12 Steps in the Sacraments is storytelling. We tell a bit of stories and uh, of people who have found, you leaned on the 12 steps in the sacraments to find change. And it's also a bit instructive as well, which might help uh, provide a little bit of hope, perhaps identity as beloved children of God, mm-hmm. and in some framework for getting plugged into community, for maybe providing the courage to do it. Sure. Oh, my goodness. So I love how you talked about storytelling. And I noticed that when we're talking about things like addiction, especially in Catholic communities, there's a lot of resources, thankfully now, there's more resources than there were before. Um, there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of people that you can talk to. There's a lot of connections with professional counselors, whatever you need. But there seems to be a gap in stories, right? And personal personal testimonies to kind of getting through hardships and trials. And I don't know if that is just, you know, because it can be challenging to kind of reconcile. I know for some of my friends, it was challenging for them to kind of reconcile them not feeling like they were being good Catholics and just being, you know, and having a hard time with their alcohol addiction, et cetera. And so I'm just curious about what you think about the power of storytelling. Obviously, you have a whole book that is full of stories. So you must think that it has some validity to it. But what is the power of storytelling? What do you think? um, Do we each have a capacity to kind of help each other and help ourselves by sharing our stories? Is there like a freedom in that? Yeah, I I truly believe so. I think, in fact, I think that really it's the only way that Mm -hmm. we ought to communicate in many ways. You know, the only thing that I have the authority to speak on 
is my experience, strength, and hope. And so that can't be challenged so Mm -hmm. much. You know, I don't have to worry about having the right theological understanding or or putting the right words together to change someone's mind. But all I can do is I can, I can share my experience, strength, and hope with others. And that might land, that might hit someone the right way that, that provides them the hope to do so themselves. And, you know, as, as addicts, particularly we're stubborn, of course, there's these (laughs) thick layers of denial. And so we don't like being told what to do, particularly from people who don't know what it is that we're going through. Mm. But just like, you know, I mentioned in one of my first meetings that helped really shape and shift my understanding of myself and God, you know, the a gentleman came up to me, darted across the room, looked me in the eyes and said, I know exactly how you feel. You don't ever have to drink again, which mm. is very different, actually subtly different from, from saying, you know, you've got this reason, this reason, and this reason not to drink. You shouldn't drink again. But, you know, it was through him then sharing his experience, strength and hope with me allowed me to see myself in his shoes, but then also see and kind of reframe my own life to imagine a life free of alcohol and drugs, something that's almost impossible to do for the active addict, yeah. um, but something that is, is, has to happen in order for new life to take place. And so as we hear the stories of the saints passing on the faith, if we read letters of St. Paul, that's exactly what he's doing. He's sharing stories. He's sharing inspiration. He's providing the storytelling to give encouragement and direction for those whom he's serving. Mm, wow. I love that. I love that. And I, it seems like it's so interesting because when we are searching for people, when we're searching for community, the main thing that we're looking for is that kind of connection. And there's so much connection that can happen by just sharing your story and sharing that part of your life. So thank you for sharing yours with all of us. And you are just such a dope witness. So excited to be able to hear from you and learn from you. And I think just meeting regular people that are out here trying, (laughs) because I think it's just the power of a try, you know, Um, we're just out here trying to be the best that we can. It's just so amazing. So at the end of every one of our episodes, we ask our guests what their hope for the week is. So something that you're looking forward to, something that you're hopeful for. If you need time, I could answer first. Otherwise, if you're ready to go, you're more than welcome to go. How are you feeling? I'm ready to go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. What is your hope for the week? I'm going to Disneyland on Wednesday with my wife and my daughter. Oh my gosh, no. That. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Tell me more. What is your plan? Our oldest, Dorothy, who will be three in like two weeks. Oh my God. Uh, Dorothy was named after a woman who I met in 12 step recovery and was also a parishioner at my parish. Oh, wow. Passed away a few years ago, but her legacy lives on and her stories continue to live on. We're going to be going to Disneyland on Wednesday. My wife is a really big, uh, loves Disneyland. And now my daughter is also becoming more enthralled with uh, princesses and such. So to see, you know, this magical world through her eyes uh, and get to spend really quality time with, with those two. I look forward to it. It just, it fills me with so much joy and hope. Oh my goodness. That is so fun. Okay. Do you guys have like matching clothes? How hard are you going for this trip? Are you wearing matching hats? Like what's the vibe? We probably will not be wearing matching clothes. I I am very aware. We are not far from the matching clothes. In fact, my, (laughs) my willingness to comply is probably what keeps us uh, from taking that next step. Um, And it's definitely a different experience with kids than not with kids. My wife is one who will love to go, you know, before we even had kids, she was there very regularly. Uh, So we'll go really hoping to enjoy, you know, some of the great food available there, get on a couple of rides and uh, just enjoy the magic. Oh my goodness. That is so fun. I 
I took my goddaughter, her and myself and her parents went to Disney World just a few weeks ago, and she's two. I mean, it is frozen city in her world. It's all frozen all the time. It is all like horses and frozen. And so we just showed up in Disney and Minnie waved to her. And when I tell you, I cried for like 30 minutes just <laughs> because something about being around a child that is just experiencing joy and just so so like untarnished joy, just so happy to be around Minnie, so happy to just like, I'm just so excited for you. That is so fun. And Disney has such an interesting energy where even the most, and I was laughing with my friend, I was like, even the most jaded of adults can go to Disney World and just come out feeling like a new person because it is just such a nice energy. That's so awesome. That's going to be so much fun. So for me, something I'm looking forward to, I'm working at a summer camp for high school students. Um, And so it's a like mission trip summer camp. And so for the next week, we have about 100 students in this school in Knoxville, Tennessee. And we're going to be doing service work in the area, going to daily mass, praying, et cetera. And they'll be spending time in their parish groups. So it's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. It's an interesting thing, you know, after a pandemic to kind of navigate that whole thing. And so I'm just interested to see how that goes. And I'm hopeful to spend more time with young people. I love high schoolers um, as being a former youth minister. And so I'm just really excited to get back into that energy. You know, it's interesting vibe with just high schoolers and My goddaughter, her parent, her mom is actually my co-manager of all the staff. And so my goddaughter, Noelle, is along for the rides. She has been here this whole time. And as soon as this interview ends, we are going to watch Frozen again. We have a special Frozen screening and we're going to watch Spirit, the new movie, because she is obsessed with horses. So just really hopeful and excited to spend some, some intentional time with her and these high schoolers. So it should be really fun. So tell us where we can find more information about you and what you're up to, Scott. Yeah, catholicinrecovery.com is our website where you can go to find all information and find any, uh, get plugged into our Catholic and Recovery meetings. We have virtual meetings taking place every day of the week, plus in-person meetings throughout the country, various parishes. You can find Catholic and Recovery also on social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook. I am on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Scott Weeman handles typically at Scott Weeman. Sweet. That's awesome. Well, we'll put all of that in our show notes so people can find out more info. And we're just so grateful that we had the opportunity to talk to you. And thank you for sharing a part of your story with us and being so encouraging. And I'm praying for you, new baby. Um, Do you have any, you have any like name ideas yet? Have you guys chosen one or you wait until you see your baby? Yeah, we're going to name him Walter. That's so cute. Okay. So what, so Dorothy, Walter, and what's your other baby's name? Annalie. Yeah. That's so cute. <laughs> that is so amazingly cute. Okay. Well, we will all be praying for little Walter and he makes a happy, healthy arrival and that you guys have so much fun um, at Disneyland and just like spend so much good time together as a family before you become a family of four, which is insane yeah. or five, which is so insane. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let me just let me close also by saying oh, that yeah. for all the listeners out there who are personally dealing with an addiction, compulsion, and or, or unhealthy attachment, or a family member of an addict, you're not alone, and mm. you're in my prayers. God loves you, and will keep you. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What a word. Amen. 
And we will post more information about what Scott's up to in our show notes. So check that out. And also on our website. Thank you so much, Scott. And we're looking forward to talking to you again soon. My pleasure. Thanks, Chanel. Thank you guys again for listening and thank you to Scott for being our guest. Make sure to check out Scott's book, The 12 Steps and the Sacraments at AveMariaPress.com. And while you're there, enter the code SPOTLIGHT at checkout and get 20% off. We really appreciate you guys and I love chatting with y'all. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys next week. God bless. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.